0: Hey, this is Brendan yourself from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hello, King's Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. Wherever you are gathered with your family, likely in maybe Nova Scotia, maybe you're in PEI today, maybe you're in good old New Brunswick. Wherever you are, or maybe somewhere across Canada or even around this wide world, I want to say welcome, and we want to say holy New Year. We talked about it last week how January here at King's Church is a month we're calling Renew Month where we are seeking the Lord intentionally and we are trying to aim ourselves at seeing Him do a great work of renewal. And so even beginning uh, Monday, this January the 11th, we are starting the 21 days of prayer and fasting, this intentional time where we are really seeking the Lord. It's not too late to get involved with that, by the way. You can go to our website and you can find out all kinds of ways that you can kind of aim your life and set your life before the Lord in this season. But last week, we set the whole conversation up and we basically, we we hung out this reality and we said that most everyone on planet Earth, especially uh, those of us living here in the West, we would say that we have been humbled over the last 12 months Many of us are tired. Many of us are are disillusioned, maybe, jaded, perhaps. And we've come to the end of ourselves, the end of our wits. We're tired. We are uh, over politics. We're over government. Uh, We're overseeing the wildness that's happening in the world. I mean, even just this past week, watching the the right-wing temper tantrum happen in the United States, it's just like we're so done with it. And we said, look, if you are feeling low and small and drawn back and at the end of yourself and at the end of your rope, you are in a great place and a great posture for God to do a brand new work in your life. And so we said, you know what, God actually promises us and He invites us to actually come to Him. Jesus said, we said this, that in Matthew 11, and this is one of our prayers for the the month, this is the invitation. He says, look, if you come to me in your weariness, in your labor, in your fatigue, I will give you rest. He gives us that promise of peace and rest. And He tells us the way to do it. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. What's a yoke? It's that thing that, that, it's the thing that we labor under. That His is easy, he says, and my burden is light. And so we said, if that's the promise, how are we gonna do that? And we, we, we talked about how Jesus calls us to take upon his yoke. And so that there's very much, we said last week, a prayer and a posture of repentance as we seek the Lord together in this hour. If we want to see God do a work of renewal it's going to happen when we offer ourselves. We turn and we repent like it says in 2 Chronicles 7. Look God says, I will heal you if you will just humble yourself and pray and turn from your wicked ways. I will bring healing to you. And so we want to take that seriously right now and this is our prayer. This is the prayer I'm praying over my life. I'm praying over our church. I'm praying it with a lot of intentionality right now. The prayer of David in Psalm 51 where he says, create in me a Clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me a willing spirit. And this is where we're at for the month of January. It is a month where we're seeking renewal, and we're doing it, and we said, by these three areas, these three ways that we are going to actually seek renewal from God. And we're going to do it through renewing our convictions, renewing our standards, and renewing our expectations. And today I want to talk to you about renewing our convictions, renewing our convictions. I have a really catchy title for you today. It's very brilliant. It's called this, uh, Reset Your Convictions. That's it. I didn't really have anything too, too pithy or too exciting, but I really just want to get super practical for the next few weeks, if we can do that. Because honestly, I don't want to entertain you. I want to educate you and equip you so that God can do a work of renewal. And so we're going to talk about resetting our convictions so God can bring renewal. So, hey, buckle up, grab your notepad, grab your device, whatever you, whatever you have access to. We're going to do a quick little seminar, we'll call it. And I want to give you some information on renewing your convictions. We're going to answer a couple questions, and the questions are these. What does conviction mean? What are convictions? Why are they important? And then ultimately, I want to spend our time on how do you renew them and what do we do about them? What do we do about renewing our convictions? What are convictions? Why are they important? And how do we renew our convictions? Are you ready? Are you with me? Say you're with me in the chat. Let's jump right in. We are talking about renewing our convictions as our first pathway to renewal from God, renewing our convictions. So let's define what conviction is is, what convictions are. Now when I say the word conviction, what comes to mind for you? If you're like me or you're like my wife, you you just assume that you did something wrong. You like that? Like I remember every time we drive to the border, my wife gets nervous. Like she's smuggling in illegal aliens or cocaine or something when she didn't do anything wrong. She just assumes she did something. I don't know what, where we get that from. But the conviction, I'm not talking I'm not talking about being convicted like a felon. I'm not talking about being convicted for doing something wrong. I'm talking about the definition of conviction that says this, a conviction is a firmly held belief or opinion. A conviction is a firmly held belief or opinion. Now this is a great definition and it's important that you realize it's not just a belief. A conviction is not just an opinion, but it is a firmly held belief or opinion. That is what we're talking about when we talk about convictions. What are your convictions? What are you firmly holding on to by way of what you believe to be true? That's what we want to talk about. When we talk about renewing our convictions, a firmly held belief, the, the truth that you are holding on to actively. We're not just talking about what you generally agree with. We're not even just talking about your opinion or what you believe to be true. We're, we're talking about what you firmly hold to be true. You see a belief can be something you generally agree with, a conviction is something that you hold on to. These are two very different things. Like you've experienced this in your own life I suspect. You've you've had something that you believed to be true and then it became a conviction. Perhaps some of you out there you owned an Android phone for years and years and you thought, you know what, I believe that getting an Apple phone would be even better. And you went out there and you bought an Apple phone and it became your conviction that yes, indeed, Apple products are far superior to Android products. Whatever it is, maybe, maybe you had a conviction that, you know what, I think I believe that what they say. I need to lose some weight. I'll feel a lot better if I get healthy. I go to the gym. I diet. That was your belief. But then you went and you did it and you lost 20 pounds. You got healthy and indeed you did feel better. It became a conviction. You see, a conviction is not just a belief. It's it's experiential. A conviction is something that you hold on to. A conviction is something that's evidential. It's tactile. It's tangible. It actually has evidence in your life. A conviction is where general agreement and belief meets actions and behaviors. Let me say that again because I don't want you to miss. I know I'm talking fast. We had to cover a lot of ground today, and I'm gonna do it quickly. So, a conviction is where general belief and general agreement meets actions and behavior, specific action and behavior. That's what a conviction is: what you firmly hold, what you're gripping, what you're taking hold of. So the question I want to ask us today, and this is what I want you to be considering even now as I'm unpacking this, is how are your convictions? Maybe the better the question is, maybe the better question is, what are your convictions? Convictions are what you hold to be true. It's the thing that you're gripping. So now that we understand what a conviction is, or what convictions are, let's ask the second question: Why are convictions important? Here it is. Because for better or for worse, your life is the sum and the substance of your convictions. Your life will go where you are gripped with that which you are holding on to the hardest. Your life will go along the route and the path of your strongest convictions." Your life is the byproduct, the sum and the substance of your convictions. So if that's the truth, if what you hold on to be true, if what you hold on to be most precious, most valuable, if your life is going to go where that thing goes, then it's critical. It's a matter of life or death, really, that the thing that you're holding on to be on on most tightly to is accurate that it's actually true. It's, it's really important, isn't it? You, you don't want to base your whole existence on a lie or on a whim or on a, a, a hope. You want to base your whole existence on something that is solid, that is strong, that is that is actual. And so it's critical, first and foremost, it's important because this is, this is what we stake our lives on. Your convictions are what you've staked your whole life on. So it's it's wise that you would be right in your convictions. Am I right? Yes. But more than that, and really what I want to get at today, and this is why I'm talking about this, it's not just what you hold as convictions that are critical, it's how you hold your convictions that's critical. It's actually the grip that you have on your convictions. If you're like me, it's very easy to to slide into a space where you believe something to be true, but not really have a firm grip on it. That you're not actively holding on to those things and it becomes very simple, especially if you're a Christian, I'll be the first to admit, it becomes very easy and very simple for us to just sort of get forgetful, to get apathetic, to get lethargic, that we would say, yes, Jesus is Lord and yet our convictions don't tell us, don't look like we live like it. We would say that Jesus is God and I serve him with all my heart. You'd say those things. You'd say, that's a good thing. But, but in actuality, are you living that way? And that's because if you're not, you're, you're actually conviction. Your convictions are, are loose. The Bible actually speaks of the fact that we, we about conviction. Paul talks about, look, I'm convinced I'm convinced that neither life, neither death nor life, angels nor demons, can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. His conviction has come through experience. James talks about the difference between belief and, and conviction. He ta- the belief and faith, he calls it. He says, you believe that there's one God? Good. Because even the demons believe that, and they shudder, by the way. Faith without deeds, he goes on to say, is useless. What's he saying? He's saying, look, you can believe something, but you, you, you might not have that as a conviction. You might not be holding on to it. And it gets really easy as believers for us to generally agree with the things of God, but actually not be holding on to those things as a conviction. And if you spend enough time in the church, you spend enough time following Jesus, you can actually sort of generally ascribe to following Him, but not be actually following Him. This is why the Bible talks about the need to return, the need to remind yourself. The book of Deuteronomy, God gives His people this instruction. He says, look, take care. Keep your soul diligently. See that word? Why diligently? Because we don't drift towards conviction. We drift towards, ap- we drift towards apathy. He says, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. And lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Conviction requires intentionality requires intention. You need to remember, remind yourself. This is what Jesus was getting at. I want to study this for a couple minutes when he wrote the letter to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation. And just for those of you who are wondering, we'll be jumping back into Revelation here in a few weeks after Renew Month. We're going to jump back in. I'm very excited about it. But if you remember last year, we did this. We looked at this in in detail Jesus was writing to a church that had lost their first love. They'd lost their conviction. Look what he says. I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, remember. See, they've, they've fallen. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, from where you have fallen. Repent, turn, do the works you did at first. It's about conviction. It's all about conviction. Every so often, you and I need to intentionally reset our convictions. We, if we're not intentional about it, you will forget, lest you forget. How many of you know how easy it is to forget the great things God has done? How many you know how easy it is to forget who he is and who we're actually dealing with here? Familiarity and contempt and lethargy, these things can get in there and all of a sudden loosen our grip of conviction on the truth that we, we say we believe. So every so often we need to reset our convictions. And that's what I want to do today. You know that to be true in your lives. Every every so often things need to reset. You know that to be true in technology. Your Android phone probably needs to be reset all the time because it gets a little little sluggish, right? It happens with Apple products too. This has been plaguing technology for years. I had a great experience this past summer with my son. We have an original Nintendo at the cottage, my parents' cottage. And my son was playing it. I got him hooked up to play it and he's playing along. And all of a sudden the game froze up and it was like all pixelated and it wasn't working right. And he goes, Dad, what do I do? And I was like, son, you don't know how to reset a Nintendo. What? I, I have failed you as a father. And so I come over to him and I help and I show him. Now it wasn't one of these, this is a a Nintendo emulator. This is not what we're talking about here. This is why kids these days don't know how to do basic things like reset a Nintendo. So I gave him the easy steps to reset the Nintendo. And I said, look son, here's what you do. Step one, you, you take the cartridge out of the Nintendo. Step two, blow in the cartridge, blow in the Nintendo. Any millennials or Gen Xers, you know what I'm talking about. Step number three, you put, the, you put the cartridge back in, you put it in at a little bit of an angle, make sure it's coming in hot, make sure that that metal touches metal, those connections are nice and nice and tight. And you put it down, you press power, and then what you do, this is very important, son, you wiggle it around a little bit until those connections are made and you see the, 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 the pictures back on the screen. And then press reset and you're off to the races. Three easy steps. Here you go and you can play. And I was thinking about that today as I was thinking about resetting our convictions. I want to give you three simple steps to reset your convictions. Now, my assumption is if you're like me, you have you found it very easy to get loose and get lax on your convictions. You have found it very easy to, that you need this reset. And so here are a few thoughts really quickly about resetting our convictions. Let me try to get rid of this. Here we go. Step number one. I want you to join me and I want you to say a conviction confession with, with me in just a second. I got a few staff in the room. They're going to say it out loud with me too, so I'm not all by myself. But here's the first step in resetting your convictions. Step number one is this you begin to reset your convictions by resetting your reason. I'm talking about your thinking. You reset your reason. It's about establishing the truth of God in His rightful place. Here's the conviction confession. It's I am convinced that God is God. I want you to say it with me. Write it in the chat. Staff, say it with me. I am convinced that God is God. Yes, I'm convinced that God is God. This is a conviction I must hold on to. Conviction begins in your reason. It begins in your logic. Your convictions start in how you think. Our our conviction can get loose, first and foremost, in our thinking. It can get corrupted. Our thinking can get influenced. It can get lazy. It can get apathetic. Our appetites can can convolute our thinking. Our, Our experiences can influence our thinking. Our relationships can influence our thinking to the point at which some of the things that used to be clear in your mind are no longer as clear. And so it's crucial that we reset the things that we are convinced to be true, specifically when we're talking about God. This is why Romans 12 says, look, the the beginning of transformation starts in the mind. It says, says, Transform, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Colossians says, set your minds on things above, not on things below. Set your minds where Christ is seated at God's right hand. Uh, 1 Col- uh, Corinthians talks about how we need to remove obstructions that, that get in front of the knowledge of God. Transformation actually begins in our thinking. And it's very easy for us to get caught up in lazy or stinking thinking. We can get our thoughts get convoluted and complicated or get complacent. And the beginning of renewal starts actually in the mind. We have to learn to think intentionally. We have to learn to think heavenly. This is what Jesus was getting at when he spoke to the church in Ephesus. Did you catch it? Look what he says. He says, remember, remember therefore where you have fallen from where you have fallen. Saying what? He's saying, this has begun in your thinking. You have forgotten who I am. You have forgotten who you are. You've forgotten what you thought, what you once believed was true. Look how far you've fallen. Do inventory. Go back. Check it. Take a look. Remember, it begins in your thinking. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite theologians and pastors, he's since passed. He's incredible. Check out any of his stuff. Dallas Willard said that thinking is the first move away from ruin that thinking is the first move away from ruining. He's got a great definition of what thinking is. I don't know if you've ever actually thought about thinking before, but you're going to right now. Check this out. He said that thinking is the activity of searching out what must be true or cannot be true in light of given facts or assumptions. It extends the information we have, and it enables us to see the larger picture clearly. It undermines false or misleading ideas and images and is a powerful gift from God to be used in the service of truth. It's a powerful gift of God to be used in the service of truth. That's what thinking is. Thinking, I love that picture, it extends the information we have. It helps us reason. It helps us think. It helps us get clarity on things to drive past assumptions. It extends the information we have. Now, Thinking, as Dallas Willard is describing it, is quite countercultural, isn't it? I mean, we don't live in a time that really puts a high value on actually sitting back and thinking about things, do we? We live in a reactive time, not a reasonable time. We live in a time where many people are calling it a post-truth era where people don't even believe there's real objective truth, that it's all subjective. People don't do any searching. They don't do any extending the information and actually thinking things through. That's why so many of us get caught up saying things that if we actually thought about, what we are really saying, we'd say, actually, no, I don't believe that. Like, think about some of the things you hear, like just follow your heart. If you actually thought about that piece of advice and you thought back to the times that you did that and found out, actually, that's not good advice, you might think differently, or maybe you hear, you hear the common term right now: "Love is love." Well, that sounds right, but if you actually think about it, I would say most of you don't actually believe that to be true. Like, what if this past week, the you know, I got a, one of those emergency alerts on my phone. Most people in New Brunswick got one about some guy had guns in Moncton. He was going to go on a shooting spree. What if they arrested him in Amherst and they asked him, "Hey, tattoo-faced guy." What were you thinking? And he said, You know what I was thinking? I just express love that way. I mean, love is love, right? And I love through bullets. You'd say, That's not love. That is stupid. That is not love. That's hate, right? We don't believe these things that we just nod at because we aren't thinking. And thinking actually gives us the ability. And this is such a countercultural thing. My, my friend Jock. Jock Hilton in Halifax, shout out Jock. He's the meme master. He posted this meme a week or so ago. I saw it and he sent it to me. And this, is, this, is a, this just says it so well. I don't know if you can see it on your screen, but it's a Jeopardy game called Facts Don't Matter. And the host is saying to the contestants, he says, sorry, Arthur, your answer was actually correct. But Paul shouted his opinion louder. So he gets the point. And as an extra bonus point, also goes to Sue as she was offended by her answer. That is the time we live in, isn't it? That just says it all. That sound thinking has just been replaced by sound, loud noises. Who can be the loudest? The Christian has got to step back and get out of the vortex of culture, get out of the vortex of current opinion and the news cycle and get out of the opinions of your friends and get out of the opinions of your cravings and your feelings and actually seek the truth. To actually stand on what the word of God says, to actually renew your mind and to actually clarify and clamp down on your convictions. Renewal starts in renewed minds. It starts in renewed minds. Does, do you, does God actually have lordship in your mind? Does, does, does the word of God actually have authority in your mind? We have to take a firm grip on God. Remind ourselves that God is God. Here's how you get some clarity of taught I missed the H there, sorry. Here's how we get some clarity of thought. Here's, some, here's some, some tips. We need to clarify truth from lies. The Bible says in Isaiah, this is such a telling, telling woe for our times. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Love is love. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. We need to clarify. We need to get clarity from the lies that we've believed. Maybe you need to actually do some inventory. Like what are some things that you've you've agreed with that actually in your heart of hearts, your convictions would would counteract? What are some things you need to think through and press back against and, and refine and redefine and say, actually, no, I don't believe that's okay. Actually, no, I do believe this is the truth. What are some lies that you might've believed? You need to educate yourself. You need to seek. You need to dig. You need to study. Look, the church needs to learn. Every Christian, you notice what Jesus said in his invitation? Come to me, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. We need to all be digging into the word. This isn't just my job to study and give it to you. It's your job to study. Let the Lord speak to you. Read your Bible. Do some studying. Do some reading. Learn the Bible. Learn theology. Know who and what and why you've believed. Do you know that a lot of the people who are searching for Jesus right now are asking harder questions than most Christians have answers for? But the reality is there are great answers. There are great answers to all the big questions. So we need to study and educate and seek. And, and you'll find the Bible says. I was thinking about, you know, Malcolm Gladwell. In one of his books, he talked about the 10,000 hour rule. And that if you put 10,000 hours into something, you are certifiably an expert in that field. What a terrible thought. Now I'm throwing myself under the bus here too. But what a terrible thought to think some of us have more hours banked in Netflix than we do the Word. Some of us have more hours banked in in sports than we do in following the Savior. Like you're more of an expert at hockey, even though you are 50 years old and you're not going to the NHL anymore. You are more of an expert and investing more in your expertise in some sport than you are in following the Savior of the world who is life and peace. I mean, this is something that we all need to take seriously to renew our convictions. And then we need to start asking big questions. I thought about this this week. The the scripture tells us that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to seek that out. What does it mean? What's that mean? It means that God actually wants you to dig. God's hidden truths and things about himself and things about yourself and things about the world that he wants you to find that you'll only find after you seek. And I would encourage some of you, you need to get curious about philosophy. Get curious about the word. Get curious about what God has to say about the big questions. You know that Christianity is the best idea in the marketplace of ideas? Explore the ideas. But most importantly, explore Christianity. Christianity has the best answers to life's toughest questions. So you need to actually ask the big questions and seek them. So that's that's tip number one. I'm convinced that God is God. We're going to move through tip number two really quick. Number two resetting your convictions. Step number two is reset your reverence. Now I'm going to move through this fast. I'm going to spend more time on it next week. So just buckle up. What I mean by reverence is the fear of God. Once you have established that God is God, then if God really is God, then God should be treated as God and placed in his right and proper place as God, as holy. Here's the conviction confession. I'm not just convinced that God is God. God, I'm convinced that God is great. God is great. Say it in the chat. God is great. God is great and greatly to be praised. We need to actually recover and reset not just our our reason, but our reverence. The fear of the Lord. I'll I'll, I'll dive into this in more detail next week. But but the the long and the short of it is like God is holy. God is holy. And we treat him as flippant. We treat him as, you know, optional. We treat him as, you know, a third party. We treat him as, I'll get to you later. And we, t- we treat him as, ap- we're apathetic about our faith. It undermines, that's, that's the opposite of conviction. Complacency is the opposite of conviction. So the conviction begins in resetting whatever the opposite of, like, okay, if I'm complacent about my faith, I actually need to get my my faith white hot. I need to reestablish God's holiness. I need to put God back on the throne of the universe and in my life. I need to see God high and lifted up. I need to recover the fear of God in my spirit. Complacency and comfort do not live in the same world as a holy God. And every vision that you have in the scripture of God's God, someone seeing God, they are ripped out of their complacency and they are ripped out of their delusion and they are reminded of how great God is and how frail and fragile we are. Complacency is the opposite of conviction. Here's the reality. The only thing more threatening to your well-being than your enemy is your complacency. The only thing more threatening to your well-being, the life that God wants to give you than the enemy or your enemies or the forces that are coming against you is complacency. It's letting go. It's, it's, it's having a lax grip. Remember, conviction is what? It's a firmly held belief. How firm is your grip on a holy God? The problem is we can grow really familiar with our, with our faith. We can get really lax about how we think about God, how we talk about God, how we approach him. We can grow familiar and comfortable and complacent and even contemptuous. The Bible says that familiarity can breed contempt. This is what A.W. Tozer was talking about one of my favorite books of all time called Knowledge of the Holy. He was talking about the problem for most Christians. He says, the self-assurance of modern Christians, the basic levity present in so many of our religious gatherings, the shocking disrespect shown for the person of God are evidence of deep blindness of heart. He's saying, wake up, wake up. If you really believe that God is who he says he is and God is who you say he is, you wouldn't act like that. And so the key is the fear of the Lord. Look what he says. A low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. It's the root. A low view of God is the root of disobedience. A a low view view of God is the root of complacency. A low view of God is the root of a lack of conviction. It's It's the root of death. yet he flips it. He says, however, a high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. The key is the fear of God. It's recovering the fear of the Lord. Now, what is the fear of God? What are we talking about with fear of God? Not Not talking about terror. Not talking about horror. When the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it speaks of it as reverence, as awe. Think about it like this. Like right now in your home, you are not concerned about the power of the electricity that is running through your home. However, you have reverence for it, which is keeping you from sticking a fork in an outlet, right? You know its place, its rightful place. It's similar to that. God has a rightful place, and that is first. That is highest. That is preeminent. He has a rightful place. And this is the baseline. This is the connection point of our conviction. The fear of the Lord is the key. Let's look. It's the key to a few things, really quick. The fear of the Lord is the key to clarity. Proverbs 9 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What does that mean? It means that you can't begin to see God until you see Him high and lifted up. And every revelation of God in the Scripture, you see somebody, they have an oh my God moment. Is that your view of God right now? It gives proximity. Think about this. Leviticus, God says this, By those who would come near me, I must be regarded as holy. Holy. You cannot come near to God. If you want renewal and you want life, if you want to come near God who is life, you have to come into his presence as regarding him as holy. It says in Hebrews that without holiness, no one can see the Lord. You can't even approach him. And then when you come into his presence, we get vitality. Proverbs 14, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. There's so many Proverbs that talk about this, that the fear of the Lord is the key. It's the fountain of life. It says that many that one may avoid the snares of death Proverbs 19 says the fear of the Lord leads to life Reestablish the fear of the Lord. I I wish we could just gather together right now and worship and just even allow the Lord to just renew our minds and our hearts. Maybe we can't do that and gather it as, as a large group, but what you can do is just remind yourself, recite the greatness of God, sing worship songs, give Him shouts of praise, remind yourself who is God, remind your spirit who is God. Tell your soul, God is holy and great and greatly to be praised. He's worthy of my worship. He's worthy of my life. I have no business business being flippant about this God. If God really is God, then God really is great. Renewal cannot flow unless God is in his rightful place. The life of God, heaven, the the things that you want to experience from God, it cannot flow unless God is in his rightful place. And that is on the throne. That is on the throne of your mind, your heart, your life, your spirit. So reset and renew your reverence. God is holy. God is awesome. God is mighty. Here's the final things, final step. I told you I'd be quick. I'm going to spend more time next week on what it means to live under the fear of God. And we talk about renewing our standards. So we'll hit that next week with a little more clarity. But today I want to talk about your convictions. It's, it's, it's a mindset. It's something that happens in your mind. So we need to reset what? We need to reset not just our reason, not just our, our reverence. We need to reset our relation. We need to set our rela- reset our relation. This is about the love of God. If our reason is about the truth of God and reverence is about fear of God, then we need to reset our relation, our, our reciprocity even, you R word about the love of God. Here, here's the, the last conviction, confession. And I would encourage you actually, maybe this week, you get up and you, the first thing that comes out of your mouth, what, there's a challenge for this week. The first thing that comes out of your mouth in the day is, you know what, I'm convinced that God is God. I am convinced that God is great. And I am convinced that God is good. Man, if you could just keep that, if you could hold those three things hard, if you could take a firm grasp of those three things, that would set you up for so much life. I am convinced that God is good. Here's the reality. God isn't after Jesus. Isn't, Jesus isn't after our cold obligation, our begrudging submission. That's not what he's after. He is after relationship. He is after intimacy. This is what he came to do. Look what, he said to, look what he said to the church in Revelation. He said in verse four, he says, you have abandoned the love you had at first. You've abandoned the love. He's like, you don't love me like you did. We've fallen, we've fallen out of relationship. What's he crying out to them saying? He said, come back to me. Where'd you go? Where'd you go when you first, when you first came to me, when you first believed? We were, we were like this. We talked all the time. You thought about me all the time. You listened to my voice. And now look how far you've fallen. How many, how many know what I'm talking about? Like, like, you remember the day you got saved? Remember the day the Lord touched you those days after? How that felt? And Jesus is saying, look back to that moment. Remember what it feels like to be in love with me. Remember what it feels like to, that when, when, I, when I touched your heart and I changed your life and I found you at your worst. Remember what it, what it feels like. This is what he's getting at. Then later he gives this invitation. He says, to the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. What's he talking about? The tree of life. Now, if you go back, you can go on YouTube. I did a whole talk, a whole message back in last January, maybe it was February, on this in, about the church in Ephesus. And I'd, I'd encourage you to look at it. But long story short, in Ephesus, there was a tree in the temple of Artemis that was called, like it was basically a tree of life. That if you went there and you held that, it was a tree of asylum. And this is a coded message from Jesus to the people of Ephesus and to us talking about the tree of life that he brought. And he wrought. And what was that? It was a Cross, the cross that he died on, that was for him a tree of death that became a tree of life, that offers us asylum, that offers us intimacy, that we can come to him and we can receive. He's trying to get us back to love for him. And the way that we do that, you can't make yourself love someone, can you? But when you see how greatly you have been loved, when you remind yourself that this great and mighty God, Put on flesh that He pursued you, even though every moment of your life you have pushed Him away and you have stepped off and you've done your own thing, and He has exhausted the resource of heaven to come after you. When that revelation hits you and you see it, all of a sudden that fills your heart. That is why it says in uh, the First John it says that we love because He first loved us. And so Jesus says, "Look, if you need to get back to your first love, you need to be reminded of how much you have been loved by Me. No one loves you better." No one loves you better. There's no love better than the love of Jesus. There's no love better than the love of Jesus. It's a call to remember the wondrous love of God. When you look and you see the conviction he had for you, it fills us with conviction for him. That's the secret to conviction. It's not something you need to generate or conjure yourself. It's something you need to see expressed in the person of Jesus on the cross. Talking about Talk about a firmly held grasp. There's no firmer grip than being nailed into a tree in love and in love and, and, and surrender and sacrifice for us. See, love is the ultimate form of conviction, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, love is the ultimate form of conviction. It, it, it's not something you have to try to do. It just holds on its own. There's nothing more powerful. Love is the ultimate form of conviction. And this is what Jesus is inviting us to. Did you catch it in the invitation? I'm almost done. Here was the invitation. We, we read it last week. read it earlier. I want you to meditate on this. We're going to carry this all year. But look what Jesus says. He didn't say, come to religion, come to sound doctrine, come to thinking, Come to a theology class. That's not what he said. Those things are all great, by the way, and you should do them. I stand by that. What did he say? He said, come to me. It's personal. It's relationship. It's tactile. Isn't conviction tactile? Isn't it that place where your belief touches your actions? This is what Jesus is inviting us to. Come to me, all you labor. Look what he says. I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. It sounds like rest. It sounds like intimacy. This is what Jesus is offering us. He's offering us his love to live in his love, to live in his relationship in relationship with him. This is the key to conviction. Love is the ultimate form of conviction. And when you see the conviction and the love that he has for you, as you get a revelation of that, remind yourself the love of God. It refreshes us. It allows us to clamp back down. Well, how could I not love you when you have loved me like that? How could I grieve your spirit when you have given yourself to me like that? You know, it's, it's really easy to, to kind of to sin when you feel like God is way off in the universe, isn't it? But when you remind yourself of his presence, of his person, see that's conviction. Conviction is the awareness that Jesus is with me every moment. He's in my heart. He's in my thoughts. He's in my steps. That's conviction. Living a life of conviction is living a life in the presence of Jesus. And that's what he's offering us. See, proximity, the presence of God, intimacy, it produces clarity. Don't you find that? Don't you find that like distance is what brings distortion? You forget, but clarity comes from closeness. Being close to someone, you, you have clarity. You're not confused about what he wants. You know, with your spouse, you're not confused about what she or, well, maybe, yeah, maybe you are. No, I'm, I'm just joking. Who, who can know the mind of a woman, right? Now, anyway. No, clarity. Distance distorts and closeness clarifies. I know my wife so much better now because we're closer. It's, pr- it's presence. Passion is a byproduct of, of proximity. Intimacy is proactive. That, that when you live close with someone, it actually has the power to produce more Passion. And ultimately, it produces loyalty, fidelity. This is huge. And we'll talk more about this in the coming weeks. Obedience is rooted in love. It's rooted in love. Look what Jesus says. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. You'll keep my commands. Conviction is ultimately, it's it's the ultimate form. It's love is the ultimate form of conviction. It's the ultimate form of conviction. Let's, Let's wrap up. Here's three questions I want you to ask this week. Question number one, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? How are your thoughts? Would you say your mind is set on things above or earthly things? How can you begin to more intentionally hold the truth and reject unsound thinking? Renew your reason. Number two, how's your fear? Or better yet, who's your fear? What what is your fear? Who or what do you fear most? Is it God Almighty or some other God? You need to remember... What you fear most, what motivates you most, is your God. Maybe some of you need to discover who your true God is. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's control. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's notoriety. Maybe it's status. I suggest to you, you get those off the throne and you place God in his rightful place, humbling yourself before him. Number three, how's your heart? Ask God to begin a fresh work of renewal, an expanded lo- of renewed and expanded love for him as you seek him this season. I want to pray together and let's, I want to actually pray this way. I want us to recite this together as a prayer. This says it all. And we're going to continue to keep coming back here and just live in this space. And I want us, I want to pray it over you and over us. And you can pray it over yourself in your home today. It says this, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with the willing spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a great week, church. We love you.